Welcome to the Gottesdienst crowd, where we foster confessional integrity, liturgical preservation, and preaching that doesn't stink. We believe that the historic liturgy of the divine service is more than mere cobwebs of antiquity, but it is a true treasure of the church to be dusted off and brought down from her attic to be enjoyed. So let's get dusting. Welcome back to the Godestine's Crowd. This is Jason Broughton. Today we have back with us Dave Peterson. Welcome back, Dave. Thank you. We're looking at the gospel reading for the fifth Sunday after Trinity. It comes from Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. I'll read that in the English Standard Version. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help him, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. All right, so context. What are we looking at here? Well, this is, you know, obviously the kind of beginning of Luke's gospel. Luke 4, we had Jesus in the synagogue fulfilling the scriptures, Isaiah in particular. Then we have a couple of miracles, including a a demon possession and the healing of Peter's mother-in-law. So that's kind of the introduction of Peter, though it doesn't say anything about him. And then we have Jesus preaching uh, in Galilee and the crowds pressing upon him and him making this explicit statement, which immediately precedes our text. I must go preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, because for this purpose I have been sent. So in verse one of chapter five, he's, he's moved on to the, to the sea of uh, the lake of Gennesaret, right? And mm-hmm. he's preaching the gospel. And again, the crowds are pressing in on him. And let's see what happens afterwards. Cleansings, healings. Oh yeah. Kind of more of the same. Right, right. Call, so, he calls so, Matthew. Yeah. I mean, this Levi. is, so this is Peter's call, right? This is Jesus gathering the disciples and, um, yeah, the hostility hasn't really begun yet, but there is that sort of reality that sinners are just hostile to Jesus in any case and oppressive to him and are requiring him to suffer and to die. I mean, that mm. pressing in, even though it's not exactly malicious, there is a kind of danger to it, hmm. a threat. Um, okay. Yeah. I, I've, never, I've never taken it that way. Oh, uh, Really? Yeah, well, you should, because that's how it is. <laughs> okay. Well, if you say so. <laughs> well, that's why he has to get away from them all the time. Yeah. And, you know, there there is this sort of threat of them crushing him. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So it, so the, the, the image is the celebrity 
being pressed in upon and the 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 people guarding the celebrity are trying to make a way for him to get through is that kind of the image or is it more yeah. violent looking than that no i don't think it's more violent at this point it's just that this is his role and his purpose is to die for them Mm-hmm. And so this is the kind of natural order, but the time hasn't come. So even though they're not maliciously trying to kill him, there is a sense in which their existence and their presence is a threat to him. Yeah. I mean, but the and ultimately purpose, it's going to be fulfilled. The purpose of them pressing in is to hear the word of God. Right. Yeah. But okay. that's not a nice thing in some ways, right? Mm-hmm. For us to be able to hear the word of God, for our ears to be open, requires Jesus to die. So it's just all part of it. Okay. This is part of his suffering. This isn't pleasant for him. So is the lake of Gennesaret important in other ways? I mean, it's where the calming of the storm takes place and Jesus walks on water. Um, I think it's, isn't it also where the uh, miraculous catch of fish after the resurrection yeah. or the... Yeah, so all those events, right? Yeah. The Sea of Galilee, the Lake of Gennesaret, that's all. Sea of Tiberias. Capernaum is on the shore, okay. kind of. So you've got... I wonder why it has all these names. I get Sea of Tiberias, Sea, uh, sea of Galilee, but then the the Lake of Gennesaret, I'm not sure. I'm not either. I think I've known that at some point, but I, don't, I didn't look it up, and I don't yeah, remember. You didn't expect some doofus asking you about it. <laughs> Well, I don't remember being impressed by whatever reason it was before, so I didn't bother to... I think it's just some sort of, right, it's Aramaic, or it's a local name, or it's it's something like mm-hmm. that. I don't think it's any significance. Okay. Maybe I'm wrong. So are we to take that this is happening in the morning, they're washing their nets, or is this at the evening? I mean, the implication is it's in the morning because because of him saying that they worked all night, yeah. and now they're putting stuff away. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. And apparently that was a normal way to fish at night. So, you know, that was the way it was done because that's when the fish were active or near the surface or hungry or something. I don't know, but yeah, I don't know about fishing anywhere, even in the Lake of Gennesaret, Sea of Tiberias or the Sea of Galilee. So, but yeah, because he says they worked all night, this is probably in the morning. Okay. Um, why does why does why does he notice that? I mean, it, was that uncommon? You think or well, uh, what to fish at no, night? No, I mean to. Or, I mean, it sounds like, and he saw two boats by the lake. Like, there's only two boats. There are only two people fishing. Oh no, I don't think it's that. I think it's just probably those are the two boats near where he's okay. doing it, or the closest, or the or whatever, or the people that are mending the nets. You know, Peter and James mm-hmm. and John. Um, are listening active or friendly. So he figures, he, I think he's just looking for an escape. Ah, okay. Right? He's trying to get away from, oh, here, I mean, here, I got to get away from here. This will work. I mean, I think that's, you know, at a human level, that's what's going mm-hmm. on. Um, you know, the, um, yeah. Right. So he, he, he wants to there create something some space go- so they can teach them. Yeah, they're too close okay. and it's a threat. And, they, and not everybody can hear. So he needs to get a little bit of space away from them so that he can talk over their heads and he can see, yeah. right? That's what's okay. going on. So it's just a podium or a, you know, amphitheater he's, mm-hmm. he's creating. Okay. That makes sense. All right. So uh, he pushes out a little from land. 
presumably they already have the no, the nets back in the boat. And then he right. says, put out into the deep and let your, let down your nets for a catch. Um, and Simon says, we've toiled all night, took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. So Simon, does he already have an inkling or of who Jesus is? They've already come he in must. to contact with one another. Now, that would be an interesting. Right. I mean, he healed. That would be an interesting thing to go yeah. through, like in terms of putting all of the gospel accounts together, looking at kind of the timeline. Yeah, the, the harmony, early encounters yeah. between G- Peter and Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean, he went. It was Peter's mother-in-law was healed in Peter's house. Presumably, he was there, or at least he certainly heard mm-hmm. about it. So he knows about this healing. He's been listening to Jesus speak, teach, right, before this command is given. So the word, you know, he's had all this exposure and, you know, he's willing to take this risk. Uh, maybe it's not full faith, but it's at least a kind of proleptic faith. It's a, a willingness, uh, at the very least, to suspend disbelief and give it a shot. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty risky, right? They've already wasted their labor from their point of view. They worked all night. They prayed all night in the dark, waiting for fish, did everything according to their skill, knowledge, and experience. This is the way you catch fish. But sometimes you don't catch anything. I mean, it it, it does happen. So there's this disappointment. There's also this threat. You know, we we sort of assume, maybe wrongly, but we sort of assume that this is a kind of hand-to-mouth existence, Mm -hmm. right? So not catching any fish it is a serious threat and potentially even dangerous. Luther takes it that way as though they're on the verge of starvation. Mm. Um, so, but then also, right, they've, they've got these nets cleaned and mended and folded back up. Right. And if they drop them back in the water, they're gonna have to do that all over again. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's looking at, you know, this isn't going to really work. We already wasted a whole night. We're tired. We want to go home. We're done with the labor. It's time to go home. And you're saying start over. Mm-hmm. And, and and this isn't going to work. And we're going to have to clean the nets again. So there's a, a real risk. And uh, I mean, that's what he's meaning. Yeah, so I think there's also... So what's the tone that he says this? Does he say, Ma- Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. Mm-hmm. But at your word, I'll let down the nets. Or is it, but at your word, I'll let them down? Like... I think it's okay. the <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not irreverent. It's not disrespectful, but I mean, he's definitely, he's, he's leaving himself open for Jesus to say, oh yeah, that's right. Forget about it. Okay. Right. I think it's kind of a request, an indirect request or the question like, are you sure? Do you really want me to do this? I'm willing, I'll obey this, but really? So I I think that that's, that's part of what's going on there, but I, I'm not, there's no malice in Peter in that. I mean, he is willing and he does comply. Mm-hmm. Um, there is something else about the night and the day here, I think, as well. Uh, this idea that they worked at night in the dark and now really, I mean, here's, here's Christ, the light of the world, right, mm-hmm. uh, in their presence. And so there is a kind of willingness for him, again, to, sus- to suspend disbelief and to take the risk what's the worst that happens, yeah. right? This guy healed my mother-in-law. He's been saying things that are stirring my heart. I don't know what to make of this. It seems foolish. And that willingness to take the risk and to be a fool is commendable. Mm-hmm. So 
They enclose a large number of fish so that their nets are breaking. Does this miracle come from our Lord's omniscience in that he knows that the fish are there? Mm -hmm. Or does it come from his omnipotence in that he causes it, do you think? I mean, I've never thought about that before. My instinct is that he causes it. He drives the fish to the Mm -hmm. net. But I don't know that it makes that much difference. Yeah. I mean, he knew. I suppose. I mean, it's, if it is, he could see where the fish so were. So, if we're going to kind of just jump further ahead, that this is what they'll be doing by catching men alive, um, then there is a, a kind of a causation, not just a yeah, uh, not I, just so a that, knowledge. That, the, Does that make sense? I think it's got to be a causation because they've dropped their nets in the right places before, where there were a lot of fish, and they've never had the nets break mm. and sink okay. two boats. The, the abundance that's given is preposterous for getting lucky, yeah. right? This isn't just, oh, that was a good catch. This is, and, and that to me, actually, that's the most interesting point of it is that they prayed all night that they would have fit. This is what they've dreamed of their whole lives. Mm-hmm. And now it's killing them. Mm. Th- these fish are, they thought this is what they wanted, but it turns out there's too much of a good thing. And there's a danger in this. Yeah. It's destroying their equipment, and it's going to kill them anyway. Uh, so, right, two boats full of people. or not full of people, but I mean, you know, two boats and three people at least. So I think that's one of the most interesting uh, points. When do you, do you know what you're asking for? Huh. So, okay, I've teased that out. Like, how does this work in our own lives? Well, I mean, I think the big thing, of course, is money. Right. I mean, and and the kind of classic example is the uh, the history that we have of lottery winners, the sad history yeah. that I've been told. I don't I've not done the investigation that there's like never been a lottery winner that actually ends up in a good place or happy that it turns out giving millions of dollars to people, you know, without them working for it or earning it in any way or even inheriting it, but just being given it out of the blue destroys people. Mm. Um, you know, and you could just watch VH. I don't. Does VH1 exist anymore? I have no idea. We don't have a television. What, you could watch whatever. But they used to have this. I can't remember what it was. They used to have this Life of Rock Stars mm-hmm. okay. show. Uh, bi- little biographies of rock stars. And I mean, it's hilarious because it's the exact same story every time. Uh-huh. You know, whatever. whether you're talking about Elvis or Johnny Cash or Kurt Cor- Cor- Cobain, whatever that guy's name was. Yeah. It's all these. It's always kind of the same, right? They, they they rise to superstardom. They're super wealthy, and the wealth destroys them. You know, Rocky two yeah. or three or whatever it is. All so I mean, you could say I, we the know same this, thing of like at a cultural level. Work. You could say the same thing of oh, um, you know, universities who receive large endowments, and um, you know, the wealthier that they get, the more endowments that they get. You know, they were great when they were struggling. And they really could have used it, and then they get it, and then they just completely go astray and woke and awry. Yeah. So anyway, I think that's the lesson, or that's part of what we could sort of see, is that the things that we lust for and that we desire, even though they they are good in of themselves, but they're only good in the proper order. Mm. And, you know too much of anything in some sense, right? We always need this. I mean, to quote Aristotle instead of the Bible, right? We need moderation. But, right, this is the fantasy of every fisherman to have this incredible catch and then it's destroying them. 
Yeah. So there's a preaching of the law that comes through the material things, even though it's a blessing. Mm-hmm. It's really, it's really, it's really kind of complicated and interesting. So I does think. this go along with the parable of the rich man in the barns? Yeah. Where you know. But also with the feeding of the five thousand. Okay. Right. It's this is an act of mercy and compassion. It it's not like a trick. Like I'm going to teach them a lesson. And yet at the same time, there is this kind of complex reality because of the sinful world. And even the sense that the fish themselves don't want to be in these nets Mm -hmm. and don't want to feed them. They don't want to, they don't want to serve their purpose under the dominion of man. I mean, we get that after the flood, right? That's the, um, so there's just kind of all of these, these interaction, these right intersections of things. And, it all intersects exactly in the person of Jesus and, you know, his beautiful absolution of Peter. Mm-hmm. So, because Peter realizes yeah. it. So then, is there also, um, with our Lord's response to Peter, from now on you will be catching men, is there a subtle warning that this too will kill you? Yes, absolutely. Uh, 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 that this will, uh, Luther talks about this. That right, there's going to be suffering in the office of the ministry and a cost to preaching. Right, the nets break. There's labor. You got to let down the nets. This doesn't just. He's got this great line about, I'm not going to. Uh, if I believe enough, a roasted dove will fly into my mouth. <laughs> the, uh, so, right, there's labor involved, and there's labor involved in the ministry, and there's suffering, and there's damage, and there's danger involved. All, all of that's included, and yet at the same time. It's God that's doing this, and your work has purpose and is blessed by God. So don't be afraid. Right? Jesus is here. So, I mean, it does feel like a little bit like a uh, premonition of the calming of the storm. Mm-hmm. Jesus is in the boat. Fine. As long as you're with Jesus, everything's fine, even if the storm's raging or the boat's sinking, on and on. I know that sounds cliche, but, I mean, it's, it's true. Yeah. If you're with Jesus, if you're in fellowship with Jesus, if you're in the presence of him and the Holy Spirit lives in you, right, you have faith, that's it. Everything's fine. And you can go about your work and you can suffer what you must because Jesus lives. Mm -hmm. That's one of the fivefold uses of scripture in Gerhardt that, well, the the use is uh, uh, consolation, but the evil that afflicts men that consolation is meant to address, I think I'm getting the right, getting mm-hmm. it right, is that we don't want to suffer evil. Or maybe it's training. Mm-hmm. I don't know. They get a little, they're, they're a little convoluted in my mind. Sure. Um, but, but anyway, I do, I do love this, that we are hesitant to suffer evil. And one of the things that we have to learn as Christians is to suffer yeah. evil. And to suffer evil, the answer to, to suffering evil is not to run away from it in every instance, but hope. Right, that we believe that God works all things together for good, that we do not give in to despair uh, or believe that this is futile. So we work all night, no fish are caught, but we're, we just keep doing it anyway. So ours is the labor, but the success is God's, and he is the one that causes it to prosper. Mm-hmm. I mean, and this is the Luther thing about planting a tree or yeah. whatever that is, right? That I, I'm just going to, here's what I'm supposed to do. Uh, so if you're a minister, you're supposed to preach the gospel. Yeah. The temptation is, well, I tried that and it didn't work. So I need to try something yeah. else. And we've all been there. 
at least thought it if we, uh, God, God forbid we've, we've done it. But, you know, I think there's, right. I've, you know, I've been faithful to my wife and I've been compassionate and I've been affectionate and I've, you know, supported her and encouraged her and all this. And she's still mean mm-hmm. to me. Uh, well, I need to just keep doing it. So in terms of framing how we understand these things, should we think of, um, at least for the individual Christian, that the work is the goal, not the fruit? Does that make sense? That for... It does. I, okay. Go ahead. Uh, in the sense that the the doing, the, the laboring is the fruit that God wants for the individual person, but he does offer fruit in season and out of season. And often that fruit is within the person who he's called to do the duty right then and there, not for extra fruits necessarily. Right. You don't like it. I think it's a little bit of both though. I Well, I do like it partially, but I, I, I don't want to say it to the exclusion of there being other fruits besides the work itself. So there is this reality that the work itself is mm-hmm. good. So if I go out and chop wood and then, you know, while I'm doing it, a bear chases me away and then, you know, the wood, the wood rots and can never be used. There was still good in that I was performing my duties Mm -hmm. and making these sacrifices for my family and the like. And there was some benefit to me and to my soul in actually conforming to God's word and even in the sort of physical exercise and on and on, right? Um, maybe even learning where the bear is so I don't go back there. So there's benefit to me personally, but I think, and that's fine, and we need to just do it, and we we need to not look to the success, but just look to our duties. At the same time, there is the promise that there will be fruit of this. Some of that fruit, most of it maybe, is delayed. Mm -hmm. We don't get it till the last day. But it does come in bits and pieces and spurts, or that's how it Mm. feels from our perspective here in time also. And we shouldn't, that is, we we do have our eyes on that, right? We're we're not just pummeling the air, as Paul says, right? We're not just, well, I mean, we might be in in our world now, we maybe are chopping wood just for exercise because our lives are so weird. But in the ancient world, there wasn't much just exercise for the sake of exercise. Yeah. There was a goal, a purpose to chopping wood. And I think most of our vocations should be purposeful. We do have an aim. I'm teaching the children the catechism. My my aim is that they are believers for their whole lives and they die in the yeah. faith. I can't control that. Uh, there's a goodness in me just doing the work, but I certainly do have an intention and I understand what the goal is. And that's not insignificant. No, I think that's a good point. The, the way I stated it made it seem as though it was aimless. Um, and yeah, well, it's, it's not, not aimless. aimless. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's both in mm-hmm. a way, but we do, but the emphasis is on what I can actually do and what's in front of me. I can't control whether they believe the gospel, right. but I can make them sit here and listen, mm-hmm. right? And, and I can drill them and I can require them to repeat it. So I can do what I, that's what I focus on. But yeah, it has, it does have purpose yeah. or a, an intended goal that God himself has established, right? Not, not, you know, me getting rich Mm -hmm. or, you know, you know, being uh, honored and glorified by them. Yeah. So, so is in verse 11, is there anything to Luke says they left everything. Is there anything to the fact that them leaving is the same word for forgiving a fit Amy? I mean, I don't know. 
I don't know how to, I don't know how to spin that and make that make sense. Yeah. Did you have no, an idea? No, I didn't. I just, I mean, I just running yeah. through the translation. Right. Uh, noticed I, that I think it and, just means, and thought, you know, is, yeah. I mean, is there something, right. is there something to that? Um, yeah. Like leaving sins. Yeah. Well, they left, I mean, maybe there's some correspondence. Their old way and now they're in this new yeah. way following him. So they've right. been forgiven. But they didn't forgive. They were yeah. forgiven. So, yeah, I don't know. But for sure, that's what, I mean, They there, there is, it is a huge verse. It is absolutely significant that they forsake him. That is, or they forsake, not him. They forsake their old lives and even their livelihoods. And that is faith, right? They're trusting in him to provide. And then really the following of Jesus, right? That they follow mm -hmm. him. That is really good works. I think I think we can make that distinction in this passage, that to forsake all else is to is to love Jesus, mm -hmm. and to trust in Him, <clears throat> and then to follow Him <clears throat> is a kind of active response yeah. uh, to this, and a desire to imitate mm -hmm. Him and to obey Him, and that's really faith and good works. So this is so really we see in this one action what repentance really is—a turning away from the previous yeah. and turning toward um, our Lord, the gospel and the new life that he has uh, brought to light in the gospel. Right. I mean, you also have a kind of twofold thing with the words of Jesus to don't be afraid. And then from now on, you will catch men. Luther recognizes this as an absolution and a commission mm -hmm. And he has this uh, great line where he says, it's not enough, basically, for Peter to only be forgiven, right? Do not be afraid is forgiveness. He's, there's nothing for you to be afraid of. I'm protecting. I love you. I'm going to take care of you. I'll raise you from the dead, right? Your sins are forgiven. Yes, you're, you, you said, depart from me. I'm not leaving you. You are sinful, but I'm not leaving you. You don't have to be afraid because I forgive you, right? That's the, that's the gospel, mm -hmm. everything. But then he, he, that's not enough that he also then right commissions Peter with this apostolic charge from now on you will catch men and it's specific to Peter obviously yeah. in 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 many ways but the principle is universal for Christians that God doesn't just forgive us and then leave us alone mm -hmm. that he does give purpose to our lives he does give us all a mission um vocations things that need to be fulfilled and even your suffering, right, has purpose. Yeah. So, so do, what does that teach us for how to preach then? If this is what Jesus does for Peter, he forgives and then says, do this. What implications does that yeah, have it for sure seems preaching? Like, I know. It sure seems like this lays itself out like so many Bible texts as the old law gospel, third use of the law. <laughs> That really is the natural way of proceeding. I mean, I was taught as a student, I mean, that was just the worst possible thing you could do. If you end with third use of the law, it's still law, it still accuses mm -hmm. them, and therefore they're damned. Yeah. And yet it is the really very natural kind of way. I, I can't, I just still really can't bring myself to do it. I, I just, I, it just horrifies me. Even it's just it's psychological damage I have, I guess. I, <laughs> Emotional I really damage. And <laughs> I just I know that I know that Luther does it. I know. I mean, everybody does it practically in, in the history of the church until recent yeah. years. But Peterson knows better. But he, I do he, like he, 
He's not going to do it. It just feels wrong. Who? Peterson. <laughs> what? Oh, you're right. Peterson, right. I just can't. It just, I, I just, it just it makes me nervous. I, I want, I want, I mean, Walter's well, we've right. All been he says this, the gospel so don't feel too bad. I know. No, I don't. So I, I, I almost, almost, almost always, you know, want to just at least end with one sentence. You know, the, the last sentence is Jesus loves yeah. you, some version of that, no matter what I've said just before it. And I, 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 I well, first of all, I just have to do it because I just can't help myself. Mm-hmm. I do think there is a sort of goodness in it, even if it is formulaic at that point, right? Um, and I mean, you know, I'm not, I don't use the votum. So if I use the votum, maybe that would cover me, mm-hmm. right? The, the, um, the peace of God that passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ yeah. Jesus. That's somewhere in the Bible. I don't know where. Is that Philippians? I don't yeah. know. I don't say it. It says to say it in the yeah. hymnal, but I have never done it. Anyway, I just say in Jesus' name, the uh, this does this does seem to flow in that way. At the same time, right? You do have this this third use of the law is so much more complicated than we allow ourselves to talk about. I think we could talk about the third use of the law in the broad sense. That is to say that yes, it accuses because the law always accuses on this side of glory, uh, Christians, and. And so there's always an accusation because we don't live up to it. At the same time, like in the, the fact that God is giving us something to do and is making it purposeful and is using our works for the spread of his kingdom and the blessing of his people, whether that's preaching the gospel or changing diapers, doesn't matter that, that God is using this. That is not, that's not law in narrow sense, right? That's a gift mm-hmm. and a blessing that God bestows. So, I think it's more complicated than this just, you know, this is law or this is gospel. And if it's law, it damns. And we probably need to talk about that and think about that more deeply than we have in the past. I don't know if it's, if we can get away dogmatically about talking third use of the law in the broad sense. Um, Probably somebody's going to rebuke me for that. You know, I've, I just don't have a problem with that. I don't think Um, only because Look, if it's going to, if it is going to condemn, it's going to condemn the old Adam. It doesn't condemn the new man. The new man rejoices in the law of God. So, yeah. and wants to and be wants taught. to be taught and desires these things. And I know from my own life that I want to know specific things. I want direction. I want people who know what they're doing or who have done it to say, "Here's, here's." here's a good way to do it. Or have you tried this way? Or, um, you know, wisdom would say that going this way or doing it in this manner would be better. I, I want that kind of instruction. So, right. My dad taught me how to tie a square knot. Mm-hmm. And when he was teaching me how to do it, I stumbled quite a bit in learning how to do it. And I didn't always do it right. And he corrected me. Yeah. It never felt like a condemnation. Mm-hmm. I wanted to. I wanted the knot to not. I, I wanted it to hold. Yeah. Right. I needed to learn. That was the whole point of having a square knot. And uh, when he was teaching me to do that, I, I mean, I mean, I remember this. It wasn't a one-time teaching because I wasn't a very good student. Apparently, I kept goofing yeah. it up. And uh, yeah, it, it never felt like right. It, I didn't feel accused. I didn't feel that he was annoyed or frustrated even. Yeah. 
uh, he wanted to teach and I wanted to learn. And I was interested in the particular information that he was giving. I mean, it seems to me that there is a deep desire for people to want to know practical applications, how-tos, and they're going to look for them somewhere. And if the church is never giving them, then we're letting the world have its say way too often and have way uh, far too much impact on the average Christian in the pew if we never actually do the now this is what you should do. If we never do that, we're, right. we're, we're just letting the world completely co-opt all that kind of teaching. Well, we also, if we go with the Wingren view of Luther on vocation, which we should not, because I don't think it's accurate to Luther, but even if it was, it's not accurate to the Bible. Wingren's view is that vocation is only law. And that's that makes your vocation just pure burden and accusation. Mm. And he does not see the sort of goodness in it. And he also fails to see, Wingren, I mean, he fails to see that the vocations of others are gospel to us, even if it is a burden to mm. that person, and that God is working these things together within the hierarchy of the family, the church, and the state, and, and providing for us through mm. this. And I think that uh, Wingren's... I don't remember that know, from, Luther from reading. Yeah, he's, he, he's, it's all law. Vocations, only law for, for Wingren. But does he and associate the law purely with bad? Yeah. Because I read he his, it's been a long time since his read. creation and law book, and it didn't seem from my reading of it that he, okay. that he did. Um, it, in that book, which is a first part of a series, the second part is Gospel and Church, which I haven't read yet. Uh, creation and law is, you know, that the gospel does redefine our our relationship to the law and to the created order. And so it fills it with a new purpose, so to speak. Um, and so it's been a long time since I've read uh, Luther on Vocation. So it's been a long time since I've read it too, and maybe I misread it. I, I really did deal with Luther on vocation through the lens of Nagel, mm -hmm. who was the teacher. Yeah. So, you know, I might have been colored by his interpretation of Wingren. Mm -hmm. um, so I'd have to relook yeah. at it. In any case, we shouldn't see vocation as simply law in the narrow right, sense. Right, exactly. Even though it does create duties and accusations, right? Consider your place in life according to the Ten Commandments. Mm -hmm. But that's also for the sake of positive direction and can also be embraced as a gift and goodness. You know, being a father is a burden. There also are few blessings in this world that are so joyful. Yeah. And, 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 we, and the Bible continually talks about children as being gifts and blessings, yeah. not burdens. So, uh, so Luther has a really great sermon, interesting sermon in the um, Lenker series on this text, and he's so allegorical. It's hilarious. <laughs> I mean, I just can hardly believe it. Now, it's fairly early. I think it was 1523, but it is, it is a fun read, and I think there's, there's lots in there. Um, so the first part of the sermon, he, he goes after the whole idea of work, that you have to work. They worked all night, and we already really kind of covered some of those same mm -hmm. ideas that in terms of God gives success and so forth, but but we're not um, 
we're not the, the gospel doesn't free us from vocation or from work and effort. And then in the second uh, part, he goes after antinomianism by name and, and uh, talks about how even though the gospel forgives us all of our sins, we still need the law to teach us what to do, and the antinomians are way off. So there's a really nice section there, a long section, probably the bulk of the sermon is against antinomianism. And then in the final section, he just flat out, full-blown uh, allegorical so I didn't write this all down, but it was, you know, the net is, of course, the preaching of the gospel. The, you know, the, the sea is the world. The fish are the, are the going to be Christians that are going to be converted by the preaching, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, and we even, I even, we even got into that. The net breaking is the suffering in the ministry. And there's just all sorts of it in there. It's, it's hilarious in a way just because he says he's against allegory. And I can't remember a, a sermon where he's more, blatantly allegorical than this one. Mm -hmm. So, and I, and I don't think he's at, at all wrong um, or goes too far. He also had, oh, I, I remember my favorite one was that he says the two boats yeah. are the Jews and the Gentiles. <laughs> so that the, the Jews can't, uh, aren't big enough for all the people that will become Christians. So we need another boat and that's the Gentiles. Okay. Uh, he doesn't see anything like I did in terms of the, the, the fish killing them or drowning them. But he does have quite a bit at the beginning of the sermon under that work thing about how uh, the love of money is the root of all evil and this, uh, and this kind of desire for fish is dangerous and often corrupt and we'll do anything for that, but we won't do anything for spiritual mm -hmm. goods. Anyway, if you don't read Luther's sermons frequently, um, this week, is, I would suggest, is really worth your time if it's been a while since you've looked at it. That's a really interesting sermon. Mm -hmm. it, you would fail in our seminaries if you handed it in on this text. <laughs> but I think, you know, it, and, it, and in fairness, right, it, it's a sermon that would be, it's hard to imagine preaching it in our context, not only because of its length and complexity, but, well, mainly for those two reasons, I think. Yeah. It's fascinating to look at these sermons and, and to analyze them and to, to sort of see the rhetorical things that are being done and the theological, right, the, the applications or the use of scripture, the way that that unfolds mm -hmm. in these. But also, I mean, what it's astounding how much Luther packs in there. And if nothing else, reading these just demonstrates that Luther's sermons are not as much about preaching the gospel in the narrow sense as they are about teaching doctrine. Yeah. Of course he preaches the gospel in the narrow sense because it is the gospel that defines all of our doctrine. Mm -hmm. But these sermons are just chock full of all sorts of things, admonitions, doctrinal statements and assertions and applications, uh, you know, applications to modern issues for him, you know, like the Pope and the yeah. Turk and the monks. The monks always get in there. And um, and then also the threat of the merchants and greed and lazy people. <laughs> it's really, it, it's, it's phenomenal when you compare them to what we do, which, you know, we don't do a tenth of that. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not doing a tenth of that. I mean, I would say pick one theme, you know, make a thesis statement and then have a few supporting articles. I do like the approach of, you know, paraphrastic explanation, mm -hmm. which he doesn't quite do as clearly in this one. And then, you know, sort of gathering up the lessons or the applications, both doctrinal and practical mm -hmm. and, 
and going through those. Do you do you find I think our people can follow that? Do you find that his sermons are more expository of the text? Not always. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes they're not very expository. I think my favorite Luther sermon. So this one's relatively expository. He, he does talk a lot about what's happening in the text, tells the story mm-hmm. very thoroughly, and and applies it. But the 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 sermon at the baptism of Bernhold von Anhalt, I think, is Luther's absolutely best sermon. It's in volume fifty one, I think, with same volume with the Invocabit sermons and. Uh, that is just, that's the richest sermon. It's just unbelievable where he really goes through the doctrine of baptism in such a thorough, beautiful way. Um, and he doesn't, he, it's at the, it, the text is the baptism of Jesus. And he really doesn't talk about that much. I mean, it's kind of a springboard to talk about the doctrine of baptism. Mm-hmm. So, and there's other sermons like that. So I don't know, it depends on the sermon and the day. And, you know, the Invocabit sermons, those certainly aren't expository. Right. Right, Evanson, my predecessor here, said you that every pastor should read the eight Invocabit sermons every year at Lent. Hmm. I've done it twice, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm a long ways from every year. Uh, but that's how important he thought they were. Um, wow, he probably thought they were that important because you know they're really the Invocabit sermons. That's of course when he comes back from the Wartburg. Uh, you know, and risks his life to, to take on Karlstadt. Right. And, you know, that is really, the Invocabit sermons are very law gospel mm-hmm. in the, right. I mean, that's probably why Evanson loved them so much. And they establish, you know, very, in a very particular way, what the role of ceremony is and when does it cross the line to become the doctrines of men, you know, instead of the, instead of teaching uh, the doctrine of God, you know, so he goes through all that stuff. They, I mean, they are quite, yeah, I don't know. They're, I don't know. If, I'm not quite as impressed with them as Evanson mm-hmm. was. So what are you going to... But he was a lot smarter. Yeah, so, so what are you going <laughs> to preach on? Uh, good question. I don't, I don't know. Um, probably vocation. Uh, you know, the order also in this, in this miracle is important. I think that the word proceeds, that he teaches before the miracle, and then... The confession of Peter, of course, that he recognizes that he's a sinner. He's not afraid of the fish, even though the fish are sinking the boat. He's afraid of Jesus, mm-hmm. which is appropriate. Jesus is really the cause. Do you ever, do you um, ever and then for the miracles, like say, so what's the real mir- miracle here? Like, is it the bringing yeah. in the fish or is it them leaving everything? Yeah, exactly. You, you, you stole my thunder. Um, yeah, I think that is the amazing thing that Peter believes and that it has such a profound impact on him that, it, I mean, I love this. What happens to all the, these fish are worth a lot of money. Yeah. They just leave it. They drag these fish. They leave the fish behind. They leave their equipment behind. You know, this is, this is probably more fish than they normally catch in a week or a month. I, I mean, I don't know. It's enough to sink two boats. Mm-hmm. And, and, and they walk away from that and let somebody else sell those fish and take off. I mean there's been a profound change made in these men. Um, so I think that is the greater miracle that the miracle that, that, that Peter sees clearly that Jesus is the threat, not the fish. And then believes the promise of Jesus that he doesn't need to be afraid mm-hmm. and that he, I mean, it's, it's, and then right. That changes everything. So is this a call for every Christian or just for those who end up catching men alive by the gospel. I mean, it, it, 
in the first place, it's specific to to the apostles, mm-hmm. I would say, and then by extension to the apostolic ministers. But by but by implication and application, it certainly applies to everyone. That while it may not be your particular vocation to preach the gospel in the in the narrow mm-hmm. sense, right, letting down the nets, all Christians are called to give a defense for the hope that is in them. All Christian vocations are defined by the gospel. We always serve both our subordinates and those who are in authority mm-hmm. over us as those who have been redeemed by Christ. So we're actually concerned never just about their physical well-being or their mental health. We always are concerned and are serving the whole person, yeah. including their spiritual health. So, I mean, if you're a mother, uh, you know, and you're just trying to keep your child alive in a sense, you're not doing enough. Yeah. Right. You're, you're always, so th- there is a, an application that, that goes to all of is there, this. Is there a sense in which he has not asked us to leave everything to follow him, but he might in the future? Yeah, I think that's right too. And, you know, there might be, sometimes it's wrong to leave everything, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that was what the monks, the monks cited this passage. I'm surprised Luther doesn't bring that up, but he didn't in this mm-hmm. sermon, right? They left everything, but they left everything selfishly. They were running away from mm-hmm. things, at least some of them. And, um, you know, I always think of Socrates. I get so mad at Socrates because, you know, he abandons his family out of pride and refuses to allow the escapes that are offered to him because he just wants to prove you know, how much better he is than the people that condemned him. And he leaves behind a wife and children and he commits, right? He commits a horrible sin. Yeah. I mean, I, I realize he doesn't have faith, but even at a kind of, it's annoying to me. It's, it's pride that acts, that, that causes him to act this way. And there can be a certain kind of pride that could, can drive the ministry. I mean, right. The, uh, the proverb is that the cobbler's, the cobbler's children have no shoes mm-hmm. And there's a danger in the gospel ministry to be so enamored by the praise of the people and to look so holy that you neglect, you know, your other vocations. Um, some people are called to forsake everything, maybe go be missionaries in a foreign land or, uh, you know, go to prison and, you know, do these sorts of things for the sake of the gospel. But we are all called upon to be willing to forsake all things, yeah. right? I mean, the first commandment does require that we don't fear, love, or trust in anything above God, but that isn't a uh, an excuse to abandon our vocations. I'll leave my wife to better serve the gospel is a pretty suspicious statement. Yeah. Okay. Uh, any final thoughts or anything that we didn't get to on your lists? Nope. I think we got it all. All right. Well, thanks for your time and your insight, and we'll pick it up next week. All right. Thanks, Jason. Thanks, Jason.